Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. So the more I do this work, and actually when I think back to when I was in corporate as an employee, you know, I thought that it was very important, or I saw that it was very important that my manager, the leaders in the organization were really bought into diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I could tell that... um, for many of them, it was so difficult for them to kind of wrap their brains around while for others, you know, maybe because of their identities or the lives that they, they lived outside of work. Um, it was a little bit more, it was a little easier for them to get bought into what we were trying to do or what the organization was trying to do. And so this conversation today really is going to be about leadership and the importance of leadership in not only talking the talk, but how do they walk the walk when it comes to pushing diversity, equity, and inclusion, belonging um, forward as we continue to try to make the workplace more equitable and inclusive for everyone. And so my guest today is none other than Tara J. Frank, one of the voices in this work that has been doing it for quite some time. Um, She is a consultant and author, just all of the things. I absolutely love everything that she touches. So Tara, I want to welcome you to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm I'm excited. If I'm being honest, you know, I've been watching you have shows with all these other people I love and admire. And I'm like, my turn, my turn. So here we are. We're here. We're here. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, so for those of you who have not, for those that have not been following you or know about you and your work, can you just tell us a little bit about you and how you got into doing diversity, equity, inclusion work. Yes, absolutely. Um, I will try to do this succinctly, but I have been adjacent to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, leadership, talent, multicultural marketing, right? All of that pretty much since the beginning of my career, Um, but I'll say maybe 20 years proper. I spent 21 years at Hallmark Cards. I became a leader at 25. So appreciating being able to lead all people well is something that I've been doing for a long time. But then I was working on culturally specific products like mahogany Mm. and tree of life, et cetera. Um, And then worked in business innovation, designed and stood up a multicultural center of excellence, uh, and then served as corporate culture advisor to the president and CEO before I resigned to start my own firm. I now just focus really heavily, right, on helping C-suite leaders uh, imagine the future culture they want to have, really genuinely assess the one they have today, and build a bridge between those two points. And and for me, part of that is really leading uh, in a way that makes room for everyone, recognizes everyone's talents and contributions, rewards people appropriately, uh, and essentially makes a way. I love it. And, you know, what I appreciate, and there have been quite a few folks that have been a part of the show that come from a product or, you know, marketing standpoint in doing this work. 
Um, and so I'm a huge you know, uh, supporter of, it doesn't always have to come out of HR. And many of the folks that I've talked to, including yourself, I just, it warms my heart to see people coming from other parts of the discipline, because that I think is such a critical lens to have as you're doing this work, right? So you said you, you came from, you know, Hallmark doing those um, types of products that were culturally specific. And so how does that impact how you approach your work now? Yeah, this is a great question. I was actually talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago. The I worked on culturally specific product, but I worked on all the product as well, right? Everyday card season, I have, I have done it all. Um, and the heart of my work at Hallmark was really about relationships. I started my career as a greeting card writer. So, you know, we like to think of ourselves as pseudo psychologists, which means from a very young age, it was my job to deeply understand human motivation and behavior, to deeply understand what kinds of uh, words, ideas, commitments bring people together, right, in genuine relationship, and the things that also sometimes tear them apart. And then to go further, those that mend wounds, right, that heal wounds, that mend fences, so the heart of my work at Hallmark was really about people and connection uh, and relationships. And you know, as well as I, that that is such a critical part of the work we do today. It, I still believe that relationships are the great accelerator, uh, which is which is why I wrote the book that I wrote. Absolutely. You know, and as someone who appreciates greeting cards, <laughs> it, it takes way too long and picking one out. I, I appreciate that because... Um, it's so true. And I never thought of it the way that you just laid it out. And yes, it's about relationships, but it's how do you convey the right messaging so that it creates this action for people to do, right? So not just buy the card, but like, yes, this conveys exactly what I want to say and the sentiment of what I want to communicate. Um, and that yeah. is kind of what DEI work is really is about. Like, how are you getting to the heart of what it means to be, quote unquote, marginalized, right? What are the voices that need to be heard or, or seen or recognized and doing so in a way that people get it and people yeah, want I to... always... Go, go ahead. No, I, I always thought about greeting cards as emotional springboards. That's mm. the way, you know, when I was kind of leading strategy, because I started as a writer, but then I my last role in creative was uh, vice president of creative writing and editorial. So all the word people re reported up through me in my organization. And I, I used to just think about that particular vehicle as an emotional springboard. It was not going to get the relationship job done, but it could certainly get the connection job started um, yeah. and help people get a little bit further along the way. And, and isn't that true of our work, Sasha? Right? We, we don't go into organizations and solve world hunger, but if we can help people think differently about their existing relationships, if we can help them get down the road just a little bit, right, get more comfortable with having the kinds of conversations they need to have and collaborating to solve them, then we can give them the tools they need to keep that work going. Yeah. Unless, you know, talk about transition, like that's how you make the way. So, you know, talk yeah. about... How I did that there. Um, let's talk about like this book and and the Waymakers because um, if I remember correctly, 
you have been starting to put out some work around this before you did the book and just talking about the role of leaders um, in creating avenues of change and creating ways for this work to be done and not being, it's almost the opposite of gatekeeper, right? And so can you talk to us a little bit about what is a way maker and, and what role do you see them playing in this work? Yeah, thank you for asking. So if you don't mind, I'll back up just a little bit and say okay. that you are absolutely correct. My work has always really been about leadership. You know, I, I didn't intend when I started my consultancy to become known for equity and inclusion work per se, right? I, I started it as a leadership consultancy, um, but I realized as I was trying to help, you know, black and brown people and women um, further enhance their leadership capacity, that it wasn't, that wasn't really the biggest issue. Uh, that I could develop or help develop the vine till I was blue in the face. But if the vineyard was dry, the vine would not thrive. So this idea of instead kind of flipping that paradigm for myself and for companies and saying, no, I need to help the company leaders, right? Cultivate the kinds of environments where we can be successful. So for me, that was a little bit of the flip. And I, the Waymakers... Um, came about because as I started thinking through all the black and brown people, for instance, it's certainly not a problem or challenge just for us, but all the black and brown people I knew who had risen to greater levels of contribution and, and got to the top of their game, however they define that, did so not only because they were experienced and brilliant and you know had that aspiration, but also because someone made a way for them. Right. Someone opened the door, right? Removed the barrier, yeah. ushered them through, right? Put them on that really important project, got them in that really important room. And those are the kinds of actions leaders take that make things possible for us. So I, I realized that what I really want to do with, with my work is create, right? It's inspire and equip, if you will, more waymakers. Because that's mm -hmm. the secret sauce. The systems matter. No one in this work would ever say they don't. But the people matter more sometimes, yeah. right? And people implement systems. People interpret systems. So if we don't get this work in the hearts and minds and hands of people, of leaders, yeah. those systems will still, you know, keep looking good or bad and not necessarily really change. What I appreciate about what you just said was it's almost that next level of sponsorship, right? Where we hear so much about mentorship and sponsorship and, you know, sponsors open doors, but a way maker is not just opening the door. Like they are creating a path. Um, yes. It's much more actionable. It's much more action oriented um, yeah. because it's not passive, right? In order right. to be a way maker, you have to be very intentional in what you want the end result to be. And so even to your point just now around systems, waymakers can change those can change the systems, right? They have yes. the ability to do that. Um, and so I, I I love the framing of how do you make a way? Right. And it goes beyond checking a box, which I think so many people are just tell me what to do and I'll do that one thing and I'm done. I 
Yeah. And, and you know this, I mean, a lot of people have been looking for the formula, right? Like I, I, I won't forget. I mean, a few years ago I was going into some companies and they were literally asking me for the list of things to say and not say, yep. you know, and you're trying to help people understand that's not at all what any of this is about. And, and no one is ever going to be able to give you as comprehensive a list as you want, right. because circumstances are always changing. People are always changing. You know, folks are individuals like that's not a success strategy yeah. for you at all. And I love the way you talk about waymaking being active because that's really what I was trying to get at. Like the idea of allyship is something I support. Clearly, you know, it matters. But I think the more we talk about it, even that concept, I believe, has people are, are looking at it more these days in some cases as a cheerleader or as an yeah. encourager or as someone who seeks to understand your situation. But I can understand you and cheer you on and encourage you and not get my hands dirty at all. That part. And waymakers get their hands dirty. Yes. Right? Waymakers don't only seek to understand what's in your way, but they sometimes go before you yeah. to move it yeah. <laughs> so that you can keep moving. I, I love that. I absolutely love it because I'm not, I've, ally and allyship has become one of those terms that I just don't care for um, because it becomes like this badge of honor, right? Mm -hmm. I'm an ally. Mm, you can't call yourself an ally because that's, again, it's about action. What are you doing that's actionable? that others will call you an ally, right? It's not something that's self-appointed. And right. then what aligns exactly with what you're saying is what are you willing to risk in that process? Because if you're just yes. calling yourself an ally and standing on the sidelines, then are you really an ally? And so I love how you said, you know, with a way maker, they will sometimes go first to clear the way so that that yes. path is uninhibited. Um, and there's so many leaders that I think are willing to do that, but don't necessarily know that that's what they need to do. Right. It's, you know, this is the part that I get most excited about. So when I, when I thought about, you know, writing this book, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just writing a theoretical book. Right. Mm -hmm. That I, I wasn't just saying this is what waymaking is and this is why it's important, but that I also started to solve the problem. And, and the problem, as I have identified it in, you know, being in all these companies over these years, is that even when people want to make a way, they often don't know exactly how or they feel insecure about doing it. Right. It, it's a hard yeah. thing to get wrong when the stakes are high emotionally, professionally people tend to kind of hesitate and they sit on the fence. They're, they, they're watching like, yeah, it feels like a good idea, you know, yeah. but people need to not only be inspired to get off the fence, they need to be equipped in order to get off the fence yeah, and they right. need encouragement. They need to build confidence, right? Like yeah. not only can you do this, right? But you, you already do it in some parts of your life. Here's how to translate that. Here are some tools for you, some strategies, et cetera. So that's yeah. what the book was intended to be. It, it's an invitation, but it's also a little bit of a field guide. I love it. And, you know, part of the process of 
learning and growing is getting dirty. It's making mistakes and it's learning from, I mean, we do that with children, right? Right. Okay. Fall, you get up. You didn't, you know, you didn't die in that process, whatever it is. Like there was a lesson learned. What did you learn from it? And so as adults, we have this fear of messing up, particularly the higher you are in an organization. And so what are some of the places and spaces that you can mess up, but also give yourself grace to do so? Um, And what resources do you need to have around you in order to kind of help you navigate, you know, that whole process? So I, I... I love and I appreciate that. And I think the more and more I do this work, um, especially talking about inclusive leadership, um, the more I see that leaders, more leaders than not want to do the right thing. And so yeah. a field guide to help them do that is, is so critical in this conversation because none of this work will happen if they aren't on board. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Like it, you know, I I tell people all the time, this is your work. You know, this is about leadership and it is your work. And if you do not do it, it will not happen. You know, I, I often kind of talk about in the book, I talk about the tipping point theory essentially, or, you know, 20, 60, 20, um, principle and any change you're trying to go through, you're always going to have about 20% on the front end. Like, let's go, let's get it. Let's make it happen. Yeah. You know, about 20% on the other end, like don't touch my stuff. Right. And then <laughs> most of the people in the middle who are like, again, you know, observing trying to figure yeah. out if they fit in, where they fit in, what exactly to do once they get off the fence and into the arena. And I, I really do believe that if we do not invest more in what I call the lagging group, right? Which Mm. is a fence sitting group. If we don't invest more in them and help them become leaders, then two things will happen. One will never get anywhere, which I think is indicative of what we've experienced in a lot of ways over the last several years. But the other thing that will happen is that 20% fixed group will continue to get louder and bolder, right? And, and just a little bit it. more prominent, right? We yeah. are seeing it because mm-hmm. w- what we're doing is we're not building our leading group with intention, right? We're yeah. not equipping people to lead. And to double down on that, we're focusing now on how do we make the fixed group happy? How do we help the fixed group right. get more comfortable? I tell people all the time, I'm like, you are going to spend all your time trying to fix something that is unfixable. Some of these people do not want equity. You're right. Right. They don't want diversity. They do not want inclusion. And so you're asking me how to fix an unfixable problem. Focus instead, right, on amplifying your leaders and inspiring, equipping, and encouraging your laggers. To me, that's the only way we get anywhere. Absolutely. Like that's where you put your energy. Um, right. And it's it's so fascinating to me because what I am seeing too is a lot of the laggers aren't necessarily mm-hmm. lagging because they want to be haters, like just to put it that way. Right. Many of them just are not fully aware of what all of it means. Mm-hmm. And so 
I'm not going to sign up for something that I don't understand. Right. Right. So again, it's how are you communicating this? Who's communicating this? Who are the influencers within your organization that can be game changers as far as getting other folks on board and excited? And, you know, to your point that that 60 percent, how do you start to move and shift them so that they become the majority? And then then it starts to um, shift the culture of the organization. You know, that one of the ways I go ahead. Right. One of the ways I I do that practically, right? Like we have these uh, kind of interactive leadership capacity building sessions that we do, that we scale inside companies. And a lot of times the audience is this, this group that we're talking about right now. And the first thing I do in these groups is personalize it for them. So Mm -hmm. part of the challenge here is not only do they not really know what to expect or, or what's going to be required of them, they sometimes don't think it has anything to do with them, right? They're like, oh, okay, you want me to help all these people who are struggling. That, right. That's how they think about it, some of them, right? right? It's like this that's distant thing, thing that, is, that-, <laughs> that is not attached to them. So yeah. one of the first things I do is really just ask them to think of a time they felt included, Right. Like think of a time you really felt part of the team. You felt like your ideas were being considered. You felt like your opinions were being respected. And then I asked them to tell me what leaders said and did. Right. Because the way making guidebook is really a whole lot about choices and behaviors. Mm -hmm. What did the leaders say and do to make you feel that way? Mm -hmm. They have no problem answering these questions. Mm -hmm. Everything comes up immediately. They are crystal clear. And most of their answers are similar or at least adjacent. So as soon as they understand that this work is not foreign, that this work is not disconnected from them, that they have experienced it, it's easier for me to say, we're just trying to create that experience for everyone in your workplace. And that's not true today. And here are some of the reasons why. I love it. So personalizing it, it and help them, helping yeah. them understand their role in it is really kind of step one for me, right? Yeah. I, I actually had that same example yesterday with someone where we were talking about uh, psychological safety and that first stage mm-hmm. being inclusion safety. And I said, you know, the first question is always, tell me about a time when you felt excluded. And it doesn't have to be at work. And oftentimes right. people talk about something that happened in childhood. And so it's like, okay, well, how did that make you feel? What did you need in that moment, right? You needed an adult to speak up or you needed, you wanted your friend to say something. So then we do a shift to, okay, well, what does this look like in the workplace? Right. Right. And so again, it's that personal connection. Cause like now I'm in my feelings, I'm getting out of my head, I'm getting into my heart. Mm-hmm. I remember what that felt like. And if people are feeling like that in the workplace, how, what can I do to help shift that so I I love that you use that because that's it's that's effective. It's very effective, and again, it gets people out of this very logical head, not emotion. Because we also have to get out of this whole thing of you know we're supposed to leave our emotions at the door for humans. Like we 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 can't do that. Yeah, um, especially yeah, it if we're saying to bring work. our whole selves to to work. I'm gonna yeah, and this. this technique you and I are talking about is even more important now because the reality is when people call me and say, what do I do about the white men in my organization, for instance, um, Mm -hmm. who feel left out? 
part of my answer is they've been left out of the inclusion conversation. Yeah. They feel left out because they are left out. Yeah. Of the inclusion conversation, meaning they really believe it has nothing to do with them. Yeah. We have not, when I say we, I'm not talking about clearly every DEI practitioner. I'm not talking about every company, every HR department. But as a rule, we have talked about equity and inclusion work and we have talked about solving it as though it is not for them. And it is right. for them. It, right. it benefits them as well. And we also need their engagement to create workplaces where every single person has an opportunity to thrive. So part of the healing we have to do is understanding that we've we've inadvertently created this separation between them and the work we're trying to do. And we have to now build that bridge between those two points. That's yeah. not for people who just are racist and you know, want to be haters. That's a different issue. Right. But it's for right. those who just feel like this doesn't benefit me at all because yeah. it's not true. It does. Yeah. You know, and, and it's really looking at does everyone feel valued, seen, heard and connected. Mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about these efforts, are they unintentionally excluding people? Right. And so, yeah. again, it runs counter to what this work is about. I absolutely 100% agree with you on that. <laughs> so what is one of the low-hanging fruit ways <laughs> that someone can become a waymaker, right? Like they're interested, they're thinking about it. Like what's something that they can easily do tomorrow that can yeah, start yeah. this ball rolling for them? So good question. Quick frame. I talk about the way making path or clearing the path as realism, responsibility and relationship. Realism is embrace what is true about your employees experiences. Responsibility is understand that you have a role to play And relationship is where I'll kind of give you your low hanging fruit tip. Mm -hmm. Relationship, again, is still the great accelerator. When we can build relationships with people who are not like us, right? It broadens our horizons, obviously, our perspectives on others. Mm -hmm. It helps us understand that each person is an individual, that we cannot paint an entire group of people with a broad brush. When we know more about someone else's aspirations and skills and talents and, you know, results, then we are in a position to better make a way for them. If I know, you know, if I get to know you, Sasha, let's just say we were not both Black women sitting here. If I got to know you personally, then I'm going to uncover common ground. And right. that affinity is going to make me want to help you. But if I also learn about your skills and results and right aspirations, those two things together give yeah. anyone the greatest advantage. High affinity combined with high evidence of your contribution is how you give people the best advantage, right? So I would say get to know people on your team or who work with you who are not like you, both personally and professionally, and it it does wonders. I, I love that. Um, and part of you know what I would add almost to that mm -hmm. is not assuming that people need what we needed, right. right? And I find that a lot of leaders do that. You know, oh, when I when I was at that point in my career, I needed X, Y, and Z, and so I'm that's what I'm going to give. 
that might not be what they need. And so, you know, one of those questions that I always ask people, leaders to ask their teams or individuals on their teams is what do you need from me in order to be successful? Yes. Oh my gosh. We are, I feel like we went to the same unofficial <laughs> school. I ask that all the time. Yes. You I know, ask my team that we did our performance reviews and that is exactly what I asked too. It's such a good question. It's such a good question, but it also kind of gets us out of our own way mm-hmm. to hear things that we probably didn't even think about or consider or, or know was even an issue or a challenge. Right. So it goes back to what you were saying about those relationships. If you're building those relationships and you're building that trust, people Mm -hmm. will then be more likely to share those things of I'm really struggling with X, Y and Z or, you know, this person I are seeing eye to eye. Do you have advice? You know, they're more willing and apt to share that type of information if that relationship is there. Yeah. And another quick tip that I share in the book is ask people who report to you, what can I do differently Yes, to better enable the team? So asking someone, how am I doing is a risky proposition because mm-hmm. nobody wants to say poorly. Right. But if you right. say, what can I do differently? You're already putting the stake in the ground that I recognize there's something I could be doing better. Right. You're yeah. saying it instead of making them say it. So it's kind of connected to the example we just talked about, but just a little bit of a half twist. Right. I love it. I love it. So Tara, if people wanted, actually, no, before I even go into that, I'm going to ask this question. Okay. How do you fill your cup? What do you do to take care of yourself as you're doing this work? Yeah, this is, um, you know, it changes, honestly, every year. (laughs) I will tell you that at the turn of this year, I decided that I wanted to embrace the ease that is available to me. Mm. Um, I have learned that I tend to make things uh, complicated for myself, meaning I feel like I need to be working all the time. Like there's something I'm not doing that I need to get done. And last year was that way for me and it wore me slick. Mm. So this year when there isn't anything on fire, then I'm, I'm allowing myself to rest during that time, right? When I've checked the boxes and the tasks have been completed, I'm allowing myself to just be like, well, I know it's only 1.30, but there's nothing else that I re- that's really due right now. So I'm going to go do this with, with my family member or um, go read a book or something like that. So it, embracing the ease, right? Accepting that ease that is available mm-hmm. to me uh, is something that I've never really been good at, but I'm practicing right now and it's doing wonders. I, oh, I, I love that. I tell you, we might be just kismet spirits or mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I feel that way. I feel oh it. my goodness. <laughs> Earlier today, I had a little bit of a break in between calls and I was like, you know what? I'm going to play Pet Saga right here in my chair and just. <laughs> space out for a moment. And it was so good for me to be able to do that. And I think it's important that um, we, we take that time, you know, as, as needed, because when those times that crunch time is here and we're just constantly going, we're always wishing for, I wish I had more time to do. And then when we do, we don't. Yes. Oh, think about it. Like work life is usually like this. And I think we are conditioned when it's like this to like force it back up there. Oh yeah. Like, oh, that doesn't seem right. Let me just keep doing stuff so I can ratchet it up. 
And that's not sustainable, right? Like then we hit a wall, we get sick over Christmas or the holiday. It's, it's a mess. So when that comes down like this, I'm just trying to hang out there, you know, so far so good. Check in (laughs) with me though in about six months. I love it. I love it. I love it. So Tara, how could people get in contact with you if they wanted to follow up with you, find you, find your book, all the things? Yeah, thank you. So they can find me at tarajfrank.com. Um, we can all we're also at wearethewaymakers.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn. It's a good place to hang out with me, uh, you know, and see what I have to say, my my thought of the day, if you will. The book is available everywhere online uh, that books are sold. So if you literally just put in the Waymakers, you will get more results than you want or need. Um, <laughs> and there are a lot of places to buy the book there. We also have the audiobook is available on both Apple um, and mm-hmm. Audible, and the ebook is out there too. So h- hard to miss me if you just if you look. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Put it all in all the places, all the spaces, all the places, all the things. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. I I think that this is such a critical part of the conversation that a lot of organizations need to have um, because we we need to make some more waymakers for sure in order for this to be successful. So thank you so much for your work and, and all that you do. Thank you you for your work. And thank you for having me and allowing me to connect with you in this space. It means a lot to me. uh, And I just really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you all for joining us for this episode of DEI After Five. As always, you can find us every Tuesday at 515 on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, have a good one.